there's four times in our Torah portion that a particular time is put in by Moses. And that's the word Hayom. Today. He says today four different times within that passage. He was telling them, what I'm telling you today, this is what you're supposed to do. Not tomorrow, not in the future. You need to start today. Very important that we understand the context and the time frame that he was speaking about. Tonight, I mentioned it earlier during the announcements, that we celebrate Rosh Kodesh as we enter the month of Elul. Elul is the name of the month that precedes the beginning of the new year, Rosh Hashanah. The head of the year is what Rosh Hashanah means. The month of Elul is recognized as the month that we're giving, given each year to prepare for the days of awe. I shared in past years the, the letters from, for Elul, uh, when you looked at it as an acronym, it's the Hebrew letters Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, which correspond to the words from the Song of Psalm, Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 3, which contains that same acronym, which is, it says, Anila Dodiv Dodili. You can look at my ring or my, or Batya's ring and you will see that. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The, my beloved, is the Lord. And I am is his people. It reminds us that we should seek an intimate relationship with God. It's the best way for us to reach a higher level of intimacy with God is by looking at ourselves with honesty. Sometimes that's hard because we know what's in ourselves. We see how we are. And I've also talked about how Elul is about looking within ourselves, honestly. Like looking at each other, trying to figure out what's wrong. Let me see. I, I could tell you what's wrong with you, Norm. No. what? Can I tell me what's wrong with me? That's what it's about. It's about being honest with ourselves. It's about doing it in a way that we actually recognize that in order to find favor with God... We need honesty in our self-assessment. And again, that's hard to do sometimes because it's hard to be honest with ourselves and say that I've done something wrong because we always want to think we did things right, that we know what we're doing and we're doing it the right way. That's not always true if we're honest with ourselves. Although we know and believe that the Lord is always watching over the world. And he's always watching, or we're always waiting for his return. But guess what? He's waiting for our return to him. Rabbinic Jews also believe that, in a sense, he is more accessible during the 40-day period, which begins tonight with the start of Elul and concludes in the first 10 days of the month of Tishrei which means when Yom Kippur has ended, from tonight till then, that's when they believe that he is closest to them and more accessible to them. But because of this, Elul 
is a time of introspection, but it's also a time of repentance and reconciliation. But in addition to that, it's a time of heightened spirituality as we prepare to be judged and sentenced by God, who is the ultimate judge. I don't care what other people say about me. That's not important to me, and it shouldn't be to you. What's important and what should be important is what does God say about you? What does God say about me? So as we approach the fall feast of the Lord, you notice I said feast of the Lord. We know all about it's not the feast of the Jews. It's the feast of the Lord. But it's always a time to reflect on what he has done for us. And what he will do for us when we're honest and more sincere with him. We need to look at our own lives and take another opportunity to repent and return to him. The Hebrew word is teshuvah. It's the act of returning to God, but it's more than just a returning in order to return to something. We must be turning away from something. And that something is evil or disobedience. Psalm 27 is a traditional psalm that's added to the morning and evening prayers during the month of Elul. In this psalm, King David asks in verse 4, One thing have I asked of Adonai, that will I seek, to dwell in the house of Adonai all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of Adonai, and to meditate in his temple. That's a pretty good thing to aspire to. That's a good thing to want. But as we begin to look ahead to the upcoming High Holy Days, I want us to consider some lessons from this week's portion that relate to the month of Elul. First one is that it would be to understand that Elul be, as Elul begins, we need to make a choice to close the gap, if you will. It's that gap that we've allowed to develop between us and God. The opening verse of this week's portion says, Re'eh anohi noten lifnechem hayom bercha u kalala. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Notice there's no middle ground. The fundamental message is that we need to remember this during the month of Elul. There's no middle ground. There's blessing, there's cursing. There's nothing in between. There's no riding the fence. We have to make a choice. See, we all have that choice to make. We have choices to make in life every day. We have to choose whether or not we're going to get out of bed. And I know there's some people that don't want to do that in the morning because they're not morning people. So they might not want to get out of bed, but they make a choice to do it anyway. But do we want to follow God's ways or not? But the verse goes on to say, Lifnechem, I place before you. But the word here is plural. 
Another way of reading this would be like this, because you find a verse, a sentence, if you will, that it contains the singular and the plural, and it's a little bit confusing when you translate it into English, but in Hebrew it makes perfect sense. So allow me to recapture the words of Moses for a moment. And he says this. See that I am setting before you a blessing and a curse today. But he's saying, y'all. He's not talking to individuals. He's saying, I'm setting it before all of you. Here's what, where we're gonna, we're gonna look at a little bit of translational discrepancies, if you will. It's interesting to note, and I won't, I'll stop right here for just a second. Okay. King James, what is, what, how does it begin? What is re'e? Okay. Complete Jewish Bible? See. Uh, New King James? Oh, you don't have it? I thought you had it. Anybody with New King James? Okay, JPS? And the, yeah, Tree of Life is C. But you notice I said it a little different than anybody else. See, because re'eh is a command. Re'eh means I'm not just telling you to look at something. I'm telling you, see. So let me go back again to what Moses said. Here's what Moses was saying. You must see. Individuals. You must see. I am setting before you all today a blessing and a curse. It's a command. But not only is it a command, it is in the singular form. So each of us as an individual need to pay attention to what he's saying. We must see, or more importantly, choose to see. As another rabbi observed it, it unlike in Ekev when Moses, when he was giving his speech last week, used the term... Tishma'un, which the root being shma, or listen. He starts off here in saying, re'eh, see. I think his attempt is to cause the Israelites to use more than just their sense of hearing. We can hear things all the time, but are we understanding them? That's what it is to see it. It's to commit it to your intelligence, your intellect, not just to be able to hear it being spoken, but to see it, to understand it. And it's also to commit it to their sense of sight. Because in the following verses, he makes reference to what? Two mountains. Mount Gerizim, where the blessings would be pronounced, and Mount Ebal, where the curses would be. And again, there's no middle ground. You're either Cursed or blessed. There's either Gerizim or there's Ebal. 
But there's no in-between. The only thing in-between were the Levites as they pronounced those blessings and curses. And the people agreed. The mountains were something that you could actually see with your eyes. But beyond the physical eye, I think as I was mentioning, Moses was commanding them to see what is coming. Because they need to understand from all that he's saying, today, Hayom, understand it for your future. What he's presenting to them here is a glimpse of that future. The future in the promised land. And all that that means, and all that includes, it'll be rest from their enemies. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. But most importantly, it will be the freedom from slavery. A slavery that they experienced for over 400 years. And then the rest of the chapter, he deals with the blessings that will come about with obedience and the curses that will come from the disobedience. And it's addressed to the community, to everyone. But the command to see is directed at each and every individual. In the 12th century, the biblical commentator Abraham Ibn Ezra commented on this mistake, as he called it. He said that the verse addresses each individual Jew. And then 600 years later, that view was picked up by the Vilna Gaon, which is another commentator. He actually was known as the genius. And he taught that should a person say to himself, as everyone else is wicked, why should I be any better? But he says to that person, see, do what is proper and ignore what everyone else does. I mean, how many of us heard this the saying, monkey see, monkey do. Don't be a monkey. Don't do what you see other people doing. Do what you know is right. We all know right from wrong. We were taught right from wrong. Even before we became believers in Yeshua, our parents taught us right from wrong. But a lot of times we get caught up in the peer pressure where people are doing something. They say, well, yeah, come along and do this with us. And as human beings, we tend to want to cave into that peer pressure and just join the crowd. The rabbis say, Im ta'azveni lyom yomayim azvecha. If you abandon me for one day, then I will abandon you for two days. This is an illustration of how we can slowly and methodically distance ourselves from God. Like I said, this time of year, we're supposed to close that gap that we have created. God didn't go anywhere. I've used the illustration before, and some of you have heard it before. I even used it. Husband and wife driving down the highway. The husband looks over at the wife. You remember when we were younger? We were first married. And we used to sit next to each other, driving down the road. And now you're way over there by yourself. She said, yeah, I've noticed that. What caused that? 
The husband says, I don't know. I never moved. Uh, but Yeah, bucket seats. <laughs> but I never moved. God never moved. We're the ones that move. He's not going anywhere. Here's a way to look at it. Two people facing in opposite directions, and they each walk one day away from each other. How far apart are they? Two days. Because they each walked a day in that direction. That's how it is with us and God. Sometimes we're walking in the other direction. And the further we walk, the further we are away from him. Fortunately, in that illustration, he's not two days away because he's not moving. So we don't have as far to go to come back to him. He's waiting for our return just as much as we're waiting for his return. For too many people, though, this is exactly what happens to us during the course of a year. We get caught up in all the things that distract us from following after and obeying God. So as the year goes by, we grow further and further away from him. What distracts you? What keeps you from choosing to study his word? To turn and pray to him? What distracts you? Is it a phone call? See, I can use Batya as an example. Batya's phone is off at 9.30 every evening. So when it comes time for us to come together and pray, there's no distraction. Her phone's not going to ring. At the same time, my computer is in the living room. No distraction. But sometimes we're not disciplined enough to remove the distractions. There are a lot of distractions beside the phone and the computer, the TV, the radio, things you want to do that will take away from serving God and obeying God. But then, after all of those distractions, after the year is almost coming to an end, we come back to Elul. We come full circle. And we're again invited to close that gap to remove those distractions, to draw closer to God. Again, where is he gone? He's gone nowhere. Elul is a reminder to us to get back to basics. Let's face it, we have two choices in life. We just need to make the right choice. Ebal or Gerizim? Curses or blessing? Which way are we going to turn? What side are we going to choose? The second lesson that we can look at is that we need to focus, or better yet, refocus in the month of Elul. A Ravanel, who is also another biblical commentator, but he's from the 1400s, he points out that this week's parasha draws a contrast to the way idolaters worship and the way we must worship. Idolaters worship wherever they want and however they want, but we can't do that. You notice I said we can't, not we shouldn't. We can't do that. We can't do it their way. When it comes to worship, true worship, people shouldn't do whatever they want and whatever they like in their own eyes. 
A lot of things we see, a lot of things we see others doing, hear about others doing, it's not for us. It should not ever be for us, so we can't do that. The Torah commands us to focus our worship within the boundaries of God's commandments. If we're not focused on Him, we could end up worshiping ourselves or something else or someone else. I think I've used this illustration before that the church that I came to faith in was a very good Bible-teaching church. The pastor would never have it this way, but what happened was he discovered something when he decided to branch out and follow what the Lord is doing. So he moved to San Antonio to start another branch of the ministry. Well, he found out very quickly, and so did we that were left here in California. Many of the people in that church were following him. He was their focus. He was the, became their God. And suddenly they're no longer interested in being there because their God has moved to San Antonio. Because he became their focus. He was very disturbed by that, as were we. But he became their focus. He became their source of worship. And that's easy to do. Some of the very charismatic and ultra-charismatic pastors and rabbis that are out there, it can be very easy to get wrapped up in that charisma that they exude. And if they don't redirect your focus to the true and living God... They're just they're in the wrong place just like you are if you're following them. See, God has given us a blueprint for a proper fo- focus. His Torah. That's our blueprint. That's what we're sh- supposed to be following after. The good news is this, though. Even if we become distracted, and I believe we're all in that boat, Elul is a time where we can re- regain that proper focus and get away from the distractions and redirect our focus upon him. See, and having focus is something that society in general struggles with. There's so many ways to waste our time. There's so many things that can be a distraction to us. And, you know, let's face it, for a lot of people, their attention span is not very good, not very wide so that attention span being shorter fades and fades the more distractions that come along and that's what the month of Elul is supposed to help us to do it's reminding us to focus it's so easy during the year to get distracted it's so easy to grow distant from God but we should remember to repent every day how can we do that amongst our distractions, everything going on around us. That's why we need to pray. We need to seek His guidance. We need to seek His Ruach, His Holy Spirit, to help us to focus, to help us to stay on the right path. God gave us the month of Elul as a time to refocus and tune out everything else. A third lesson 
It's about how to achieve success in the month of Elul. The Torah warns us in this week's portion not to eat the blood of an animal. Deuteronomy 12:23, Rach Chazak, Leviti Echol Ha'adam. Only be sure you do not eat the blood. Now, the word translated here as sure is the Hebrew word chazak. And anybody has been here at a dot long enough, and we've gotten to the end of a book in the Torah, the reader will recite chazak, chazak, beneath chazak. Chazak is another command. It means to be strong, to be courageous. So why does the Torah have to tell us to be strong? in reference to eating blood. Well, of all the temptations to sin that there are in life, is the desire to eat blood actually, does it actually rank that high in the spectrum of things that we can avoid or that we can do? Well, Rashi says this about that. The Torah is teaching us that if the warning against eating blood, which is such an easy commandment to observe, requires enormous vigilance, how much more so the other mitzvot of the Torah must require vigilance. He went on to say, start with the minor mitzvot, the minor commands, and then work your way up. That's the basic premise. Take baby steps if you have to, but working towards God and not away from him. The parsha begins with a promise of blessing. But how many read the entire parsha? How does it end? With a promise of blessing. They're like bookmarks, as one rabbi puts it. You start off talking about the blessing, and you end up talking about the blessing, and then you pay attention to everything in between on how to achieve that, how to reach that goal. Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17 says, Three times a year, all your males are to appear before Adonai your God in the place he chooses. At the Feast of Matzot, the Feast of Shavuot, and the Feast of Sukkot. No one should appear before Adonai empty-handed, the gift of each man's hand, according to the blessing Adonai your God has given you. I said Elul is a month of vigilance. We've let our vigilance diminish during the year. It happens happens to everyone. Face it, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to go and stay vigilant for 365 days. Something is going to happen. It just does. But for one month, we can be chazak. We can be strong. We can be courageous. And then we can grow and be successful. In Elul, we must choose. We must focus. And we must be vigilant. Looking back to the beginning of the parasha, Deuteronomy 11, beginning verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Or behold, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you today. But the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvot of Adonai your God, but turn from the way I am commanding you today, 
to go after other gods you have not known. A glimpse into next week's parsha. No, I take that back. Four weeks. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning of verse 19, it tells us, I call the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell on the land that Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov, to give them. It's simple. It really is. Blessing or curse. Life or death. Those are our choices. For me, I prefer blessing and life to curses and death. Does it always... Do I always succeed in reaching that goal? No. Once again, distractions. 365 days, it's hard. 30 days in a month, that's hard, let alone the entire year. But to be successful in keeping his mitzvot is being successful in keeping his mitzvot. In Elul, we should pay closer attention to his commandments. We should perform them with a greater intensity and maybe a bit more meticulously. Maybe we should actually set the bar a little higher for ourselves in our devotion to God. I said, I talked about baby steps earlier, but you know what? Sometimes baby steps only go so far. Sometimes you've got to step up a little higher. I mean, I don't know how many ever pole vaulted in school. I tried it. Didn't like it. For some reason, I had two poles that, invo- that both poles got in my way. The one I was trying to use to launch myself and the one I was trying to go over, I'd always hit it. And then, of course, the other one would hit me because I let go of it, not pushing it away. So I get hit twice by a pole. Not a good thing. But those who excel in pole vaulting you think the highest pole vaulter in the world started out jumping to those record heights? They started lower and began to set the bar higher. That's what we need to do. We need to set our bar higher in how we're devoting ourselves to God. And that's what Elul should be about, searching for the honesty in ourselves, truth in ourselves, integrity in ourselves as we prepare to stand before our Creator and our Judge. Traditionally, there are a few added mitzvot in the month of Elul. One thing is the shofar is added. And then there's a psalm, as I mentioned earlier, Psalm 27 is added. Is there anything in Scripture that tells us that? No. But sometimes, again, set the bar a little higher. We're bringing in new dimensions, and we're starting to do new things in order to draw us closer to God. So they've become commandments, if you will, even though they're not written in the Scriptures. But on an individual level, 
I think we all want to succeed. And if we want to succeed, we need to do that same thing. Add on to what we're doing in order to grow. You know, it may be as simple as your, I don't know, your daily scripture readings. So maybe you read, I don't know, eight to ten verses. Okay, stretch it out. Make it a whole chapter. And then maybe stretch it out a little further and go a couple chapters. So that you're gaining more and more success in what you're doing. If you're going to read more and more, you're going to draw more and more understanding of God's word. And you'll know what he wants from you. If there are some commandments in our own lives that we've kind of laid back and become lax in, now's the time to become stronger in them. Chazak. Be strong. Be courageous. Overcome those things. Whether it be in our prayer, in our study of the scriptures, our gifts, our acts of charity, or our interpersonal behavior. You know, I don't, I I think I can say it here that we don't have necessarily that problem. I think our interpersonal behavior, except maybe Mouse and John, I don't know, uh, is clean, it's wholesome, it's the right way. But it has improved, yes. And that's what we look for. We look for that improvement. But what are our interpersonal relationships with other people outside this room? How do we behave around others? It's important. And Elul actually demands just a little bit more from us. As I said, the shofar has been added to one of the mitzvot. In a Jewish tradition, the shofar is sounded every morning to remind people it's time to get their lives straightened out. It's a call to repentance. And the Lord is giving us just one more reminder that we need to be holy and set apart for him. There's six, there's more than this, but I'll give you six things that the shofar should remind us of when it's blown. That we should accept and honor God as our king. Is that a problem? Well, once again, 365 days go by, something can happen to get you off track. Second thing is, we should be dedicated to God as Abraham was, dedic- was in the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, where the ram was offered instead of Isaac. Third thing is, we should follow the Torah, God's commandments, which were delivered and accepted at Mount Sinai. The shofar also should remind us that we need to listen to the words of the prophets. We should also remember the destruction of the temple or temples in Jerusalem. Another thing that the shofar being blown should remind us of is that we should be fearful of God and ultimately repent for our sins. It's important that we know why we do things and how we do things. We're going to hear the shofar blown in traditional Judaism. It's being blown throughout the month of Elul and leading up to 
the end of Yom Kippur, when we hear the shofar Haggadol. But the shofar can be portrayed as a siren, a warning that tells us we need to wake up, that we need to enter this season of repentance fully awake, fully engaged. Because otherwise, if we don't, we'll miss it. It can also be looked at as a musical instrument. But more importantly, God's musical instrument. Imagine when you hear the sound of the shofar. Just imagine it in your own minds. That God is serenading us. That he's inviting us to come closer and closer to him. And he's calling us into his presence. And imagine as you hear the sound of the shofar that God himself is saying that he loves us. And that he's inviting us to love him back. Anila dodiva dodili. We need to allow ourselves to not just hear, but to also listen to his call. I had to learn early on as a believer that to hear something and to listen is, a, is two different things. It's not the same. You can hear a lot of things, but are you paying attention? That's what listening is. Listening is paying attention and then doing something about it, following through on it, obeying it. See, one path to intimacy, especially the intimacy we desire to have with God in the relationship we have with him, is integrity. It's true about God, and it's true about our interpersonal relationships. Not just with God, but with one another. So Elul becomes a time for us to improve our relationships. Not just here again in these four walls, but outside these four walls. Improve those relationships. There may be someone in your family, maybe a friend, maybe a co-worker that was once close and now is far away from you. This is a good time to mend those relationships. When we are honest with others, we can achieve more intimacy with others. And as a result, more intimacy with God. This, this next illustration, I have, I've used it a couple of times, I, but I, I think it's really very appropriate to what we're talking about here. And if you've heard it before, that's okay. If you haven't heard it before, I think you'll see the relevance in what I've been saying today. It was 1978. At the time, it was a young, little-known golfer named Tom Kite. Some of you actually knew of Tom Kite, those that follow golf. He stood over a birdie putt on the fifth hole of the final round of the Colgate Hall of Fame Classic. He was neck and neck with a great golfer by the name of Tom Watson. When Kite moved his putter behind the ball, the ball moved. 
a fraction of an inch. The movement was so slight that no one else noticed it. No one else except Tom Kite himself could have even known that his putter had moved the ball. That was in 1978, by the way. This is a side note. Today, with all the high-resolution lenses, everybody in the world would have seen that ball move. But nobody saw it at the time. But what Tom Kite did next surprised everyone. He called a penalty shot on himself. And he ended up losing the tournament to Watson by one shot. That penalty shot, had he not taken the penalty, would have put them in a tie, and then they could have had a three-hole shoot-off. But that penalty shot cost him the match. But someone asked him later, you know, why did you do that? Nobody would have even known. Here's what he said. I play golf. If you don't play by the rules, you aren't playing golf. You're playing some abbreviated form of it. So to apply what Tom Kite said to today's lesson, we serve God. If we're not following his rules, his instructions, his Torah, we're not serving God. We're merely pretending to serve him. And maybe, as I said in the past, maybe during this time of the year, Tom Kite could be an inspiration to us during this month of Elul. David Ben-Gurion once said, Time works both for us and against us, depending on how we use it. John three sixteen through 18, most of us know 16 very well. I like to add 17 and 18 to back it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, son of God. As I close, how would you answer the question at the end of Yeshua's parable in Luke 18, 8, where he asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? During the month of Elul, let's search our hearts and repent and show the love of Yeshua to the world. Because you know what? That's what it's really all about. It's about showing his love. But will he find faith on the earth? We don't know. We can only speculate. He will find some, but will he find enough? He'll find a few, but will he find many? We don't know. We can only look at ourselves and answer the question for number one as an individual because we can't speak for everybody else. I can't even speak for everyone in this room because I don't know. All I can do is speak for myself. And guess what? Even then I, have to, I can say, I'm not sure. Again, 365, that's a long time to go through the year and stay on the right path. 
I just pray that the Ruach is always there to direct me and put me back on the right path when I do step off. I do thank God that we don't have to wait until this time of year to return to him. But because of what Yeshua did, we can use that 365 days to return to him on a daily basis. That's what grace is all about. We should be thankful that we're not under those rules, those strict rules that the Israelites had to be under each and every day, but we can turn and turn back any day and every day. Technically, they could have too, but it was set up on this annual basis. I don't want to wait until this time of year to seek forgiveness and to turn back to God. I want to do it daily. And that's what I strive to do each and every day, and all of us should do the same. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you, we bless you, we magnify your holy name, because without you, we can do nothing. Without your Torah, we can do nothing right. Help us to choose the right path. Help us to choose between Gerizim and Ebal, between the blessings and the curses. Help us to choose to turn to you when we stumbled. Help us to seek you more and more each and every day so that we can draw closer to you instead of further from you. Help us to remove the distractions from our lives that keep us away from you that distance ourselves from you. Help us to grow in you, Lord. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. That we will continue to seek you in everything that we do. So that we won't be distracted. So that we won't go astray. So that we won't be walking in the opposite direction from you. I pray that we would take this month of Elul to remember that we have the same opportunity every day of our lives. But as we stand together with your community and we use this time to bridge the gap between right and wrong, between you and the world, so that we can be an example to them Help us, Lord, to be that example. To be good and faithful servants of your kingdom. In Yeshua's name.